What's up, podcast guests, listeners, people tuning in. Just want to say a huge thank you uh, to listening to another great episode of the Matt Baxter Show. Yep, you guessed it. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and I'm hanging out with Kevin Bailey. Kevin Bailey is the newly appointed, as of March, the global brand president of Vans. So this is super fun for me because during the midst of COVID, I had a chance to do a podcast with um, Steve Van Doren, who's the chief entertainment officer of Vans, and now get a chance to cover the global brand president. We talk about brand, marketing, shoes, uh, fun designs, and just where he lives in the world of uh uh, of, of merchandise, retail, shoes, and it's just awesome. So, Kevin, you're such a good man. This episode was fantastic. I just want to say a huge thank you uh, to you, and I hope everybody enjoys this episode just as much as I did. Kevin, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Matt. So in the western part of Michigan, where I live, uh, we stick around for the summer days, but I'm, of course, staring at like a gloomy, rainy day, and I'm heading out to Chicago pretty quickly. So it's joyful here, but uh, where in the world are you recording from? Uh, I'm actually in our, my office in Costa Mesa, California. It's uh, 70 now, going to be 82 today, sunny. Um, it's, it's actually a warmer than usual week here this week. So uh, uh, yep, enjoying the weather, although through a window right now. <laughs> I I totally get that. And actually, um, I, 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 we haven't made this connection yet, but I'm actually in Newport Beach about once a month. Um, our company president lives there, grew up in that area. So I'm, I'm not not too far away, probably once a month from you. So that's awesome. Well, come by. You're welcome to come visit. And it's too bad you're not here now because we have the Vans US Open of surfing going on down in Huntington Beach. And you could have seen our big event that goes on for about a little over a week on the beach. It's uh, pretty cool to between surfing, skating, BMX, um, activities that we have going on in the Van Doren Village. Um, it's a pretty big event for us. It's back after the COVID time, so it's exciting. That's amazing. That's awesome. And, and uh, typically, how long is that event for? Is it three or four days? It, it, no, no, it runs through two weekends. So it started oh, wow. this past okay, weekend, it'll, and the finals of the surf event will run through this coming weekend. Um, uh, I think it's somewhere around 600,000 people we anticipate will be at the beach over those days. So it's, it's a pretty great event in our backyard. That's awesome. I love that. Not to mention, not not too bad weather to host an event like that. No, uh, surf's not always the strongest in Huntington Beach, um, but there's a little bit of a of a hurricane tailwinds that have uh, caught some of the some of the breaks at the beach. So some of the surfers are happy. But where I live, um, we have a really good swell right now. But um, Huntington tends to be a little bit little bit lower, um, just based on where the current comes in from. Well, I'm a much better spectator as a surfer and a cheerleader than I am actually at surfing. So happy to come down and uh, and be a supporter for those doing it. But I don't think anybody wants to watch me doing that. That's for sure. Well, I call it controlled drowning the way I do it. You find <laughs> me a nine-foot life preserver and uh, I can find my way back to it. Every time I get up, I get too excited and fall. So <laughs> That's so good. So. Kevin, obviously, we're, I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation. We're going to have a lot of fun. But, you know, would you mind just giving your background? We'd love to hear your story and kind of what, what led you up to today. Yeah, sure. Um, I've had a, a, a winding path in my career. Um, uh, I grew up in northern New Jersey, just outside of New York City, um, a typical middle class, upper middle class family in a suburban community of a lot of New York City commuters, which uh, was my dad. And um, probably the biggest influence in my life um, in many ways. Um, he grew up he grew up an orphan actually and grew up in an orphanage um, um, and moved himself all the way up to a corporate executive of a major um, textile company in the US, probably what got me into the 
the apparel business at some point, but um, that's really where I grew up. And um, through growing up, um, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do um, with my career. And I was a smart kid in school, um, you know, honors classes and all that, but um, active in sports. My dad always, my parents always encouraged me across my curiosities, music, art, sports, um, and fashion as well. And I think that was from being around my dad and inhaling too many cotton fibers early in my life. Um, uh, but really got the retail bug early in my career working. I started working in restaurants. I, I know you did some stints uh, in lawn care. So yes, I, uh, I knocked on doors trying to cut lawns and uh, in the summer and shovel snow in the winter um, to, to try and raise some money. I kind of uh, worked in food service early on. Uh, I lied when I was 14 and I was tall and got a job at a, one of those banquet facilities um, so that I could uh, make some cash. It was uh, you know, confidentially and under the table uh, operations. So got paid <laughs> course, cash and of course, uh, told them I was 16 when I was 14. Yeah, there's definitely some that you, uh, you there's, know? there's some that you definitely uh, report over the table and some that you report under the table. That's for sure. And it's a lot of cash business. So totally get that. <laughs> I didn't understand it. Yeah, I didn't understand it. I was 14. At the end of the night, they told me, go to that window and you'll get paid. And I just got handed cash and my mom couldn't believe how much money I made in what, my first night. And I was like, okay, so I think I got involved in the service industry at an early age. Um, but throughout my early career, I worked in retail. And uh, my first real retail job was at a Gap store um, uh, in New Jersey. And uh, that kind of got this retail bug bit in me and um, ended up throughout college working in retail uh, most of my time. Uh, and usually in areas that interested me, whether it be fashion or outdoor and active um, retailers. Um, and just really, I think the bug just bit me. So no matter what I studied in several stops along the university path, um, the retail piece just stuck with me. And I ended up going into retail um, because a senior executive of an American Eagle Outfitters um, back in the day ran into me working in the store and convinced me to put my hand up for an assistant manager job. And that led me stuck into the retail business. So um, I worked through multiple retail businesses over the years from the Gap to Banana Republic, uh, which then acquired the Gap, which was acquired by the Gap, American Eagle Outfitters, um, was my first multi-unit experience. Uh, my, and also my first mentor um, was actually there, um, who was a big influence on my life. Um, and then I worked in the educational toy store business um, at one point for a large British publishing company that had educational toy stores in the US. And that was my first national role um, and my second mentor in my life. But I, I learned quite a bit there from brand building to finances uh, because we were trying to save a company and trying to sell the company in the US. Um, and I was part of the leadership team at that point. Um, and they also took over marketing and uh, training um, and ultimately ended up closing the company. So you learn a lot through that unfortunate event. Um, and that led me to a big role out on the West Coast. Um, I went to work for Nike after that. Um, where you learn a ton about brand building, um, sort of integrating within an enterprise rather than just a retail venture. Um, learning and development was a big part of my life there. And um, after eight years at Nike, um, ended up working at a golf startup uh, that uh, was in uh, Austin, Texas. It was a golf retail superstore concept, still exists today. They were looking to take the company public, spent some time there. It wasn't really the best fit for me. And Vans had tried to recruit me through the years, which led me back to Vans um, in 2002. Um, and I've pretty much been here since other than one stint when I left. So 
Um, uh, and I've had varying roles here, so I could probably take way too much time explaining all that, but happy to do tell you anything more about my time here. I, I, I love it. I mean, the, the story's uh, amazing. And I actually really, really appreciate the fact that you knew about the lawn care. And similar, <laughs> I feel like we can relate a little bit. Uh, business number one was landscaping and lawn care. Business number two is HR tech. So talk mm-hmm. about the most un- you know, untypical path to go into. So I love the sort of winding story um, about that, which is amazing. So what would you say, you know, first question, obviously you have worked for some amazing, well-known brands and established brands, but then you also alluded to working for some smaller companies, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, but what would be the difference um, from your perspective from like a brand product side of things of working for a well-known brand and what you're thinking about in that space versus like maybe an up and coming uh, product or, or new launch or startup? What would be sort of the different things you'd be thinking about in that in those worlds? Sure. No, I, I think I think one of the most influential pieces for me um, in many ways had to do with that startup type mentality. And um, I've worked for many founders in my life. So um, when I worked at Banana Republic, it was before they were sold to The Gap. And I worked very closely with the founding um, couple, the Mel and Pam Ziegler, um, and they really taught me a great deal. It was the first large format store. I ran a store in New York City, um, and um, they regularly visited, but they had such a unique lifestyle from um, one who was a designer and one who was more of a photojournalist and um, just a really unique couple that taught me so much about how their passions drove the product they created, which you know to me is a big part of those small startups and entrepreneurs you know, like yourself when you become passionate about something. And what that taught me about uh, a founder's vision for where their company can go and, and how to connect deeply to what they believe in. I think that that taught me a great deal there. And, you know, if I carried that all the way forward to your other point, um, when I was at Nike working with um, Phil Knight on some of the concepts of opening these large format Nike stores, um, you know, I used to call Nike the, the largest private publicly operated company that I could ever imagine. Um, and I was there in the early days from $4 billion to $10 billion, and um, I knew a lot of the original team. Uh, Kevin, the just, just real, real quick, um, you're talking to a startup founder with 20 employees. So when you say early days of $4 billion to $10 billion, you got that, you know, that's a stomach punch to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you, you can imagine given where they are today. But, 100%. Um, totally just messing with you. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing the conceptual of like the number of zeros that you can add behind something and, and just different people's perspectives in that space. So I'd love it. Oh, no, sure. Keep, and I look keep, at, keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, I look at where they are today and, you know, 10 billion doesn't sound so big. Um, but um, <laughs> but it, then I bounced back and worked for this golf uh, company that they two brothers had started the company on five thousand um, dollars in a basement of their home in New Jersey, and now we're in Austin, Texas, and making custom clubs for some of the best golfers in the world. Um, but there, I was around these two founders that had a very unique way. So after being at a big place like Nike, here I was again at a small founder-led business, and just you know their drive and passion for what they were trying to create um, taught me so much um, about how important how important the story of who you are and what you're trying to do becomes part of your brand and ultimately part of what you're really selling to consumers. And that, that to me was a big part of, of my growing up. Um, and then here I am at Vans, which we talk very much about how it's a family business founded by um, a, a guy out of Massachusetts, Paul Van Doren. Um, his son, daughter, and granddaughter still work here today um, in various roles. So 
just always having that founder piece, I think to me that's, if you can't tie your big company back to the founder's vision, I think you lose something in the journey of how you build your business. Um, and that, that to me is really critical. And I, I, I think, Kevin, I mentioned this to you, uh, Steve Van Doren has been on this mm-hmm. podcast. And uh, um, the funny thing is, and, and you might know, you might know better what it is, but at the time it was uh, CEO, but it was chief entertainment officers the way he described it. Oh yeah, no, that's uh, <laughs> chief, Steve is the chief fun officer. You can call him a bunch of things. Um, he and I were messaging each other this morning because he's on the beach at that surf event, um, cooking hot dogs and taking pictures with kids and having a blast. He's he is the energy in in this building. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I can tell you the story from my first week working at Vans. I moved to Southern California Memorial Day weekend in two thousand two sitting in an office trying to figure out what my job was. And Steve, it was, I was planning for that long weekend. My family was still in Texas. What, what was I going to do? Okay, one day house hunting, one day maybe I'll go to the beach. Um, and Steve came by my office and said, hey, I'm Steve, who are you? And I told him, and he's like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, not quite sure. He said, well, why don't you go to my house? A bunch of guys, we're going to play poker. We're going to eat my Uncle Tony's meatball sandwiches. And it just was such a unique experience of being kind of accepted into the family at that point. I love that. And yeah, um, I, I got a really, I, I feel like, I, I feel like anybody who gets the chance to meet Steve, uh, it's, it's an awesome opportunity, but I feel really even, even further fortunate because when we did the podcast, it was sort of right at the height of COVID mm-hmm. and he was talking about launching and I, and I, I forget the exact campaign, but it was like, gifting 20 to 30,000 shoes in a bunch of different states. So he was literally in a van rolling around and it just was like, man, this guy just wants a like joy and fun and laughter in life, but also the impact too. And I, I know that trickles throughout every, every area of the brand for what you guys are. So I, I love it. So he, he was a stellar dude. So when you, when you, when you get a chance, if you tell him I said, hi, I would love to, would love to hear from him again. That's awesome. I, I will. And when you, yeah, when you talk entrepreneurial spirit, that, that is Steve and, in. in in spades. Um, when, the, when there's a crisis in the world and we try to, you know, we quickly huddle the executive team to figure out, okay, you know, should we respond? How should we respond? Do we have product we could send? What would we do? Do we have employees in that area? By the time we're done even starting the conversation, Steve's loaded a truck and is driving. Um, yeah. <laughs> there, there's, he's already thought it through. He's already just moved into action. He's a very action oriented guy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I love it. So, you, you know, you've obviously had uh, a great impact with a lot of these different brands and companies. So whether you're starting off and building a company and, and just conceptually thinking about something, whether you are launching something that has a good foundation and taking it to the next level, or whether it's an established brand, what should people be thinking about when it comes to like brand and messaging that maybe gets missed? Or where do they get started when it's like, I want to start working on brand or I want to start working on messaging. Like what's the best next step for them to take in that conversation and maybe specifically tailored towards people who that's not their professional career. Yeah, no, I think, you know, it's, it, it really speaks to getting back to who you are. And um, I think really peeling back the layers, Um, you know, I, I think it's invaluable if you have a founder, you can spend time with and really understand what was their vision. What's their passions? What are their value set? Um, because somewhere in there, there's, there's that, that pearl in the oyster that says, oh, wait, now I found the real story here. Um, and if you can find that and unlock that, I think that plays a big role. Um, I, think, I think really getting back to what is the brand. So I'll use Vans as an example. 
Um, when I was at Vans in 2002, we weren't in such very good shape when I first joined Vans. Um, I think if you ask most consumers, they think of Vans as, oh, that's that, that skateboard company, skateboard shoe company. We weren't even relevant in the skate shoe sector in 2002. If there's a Action Watch data publishes best brands in core, core board shops, and we didn't even show up on the report. So we were in a difficult place. And this, the president before me at that time who ran our merchandising, he took over as president of the company when we were acquired. And he set about trying to get us reestablished in the action sports space. Um, and we, we managed it pretty well. We got there pretty quickly. And two years later, we were one or two on that list pretty consistently. Um, and that, that then was a moment of where do we go from here? And when I took over as president, what I felt was we hadn't peeled the layers back enough to realize what the full potential of the brand was. So peeling back and thinking about why were we a skateboard company? Why were the skaters? Why did they choose us back in, in the uh, late 60s um, as a brand of choice? What I realized, and it was through watching the, the documentary called Dogtown, um, that it was about expressing themselves creatively. Um, they weren't about you know, competitions because there wasn't really such a thing in the traditional sense then. They were about emulating their surf heroes on dry land and creating these, these lines and, and just determining sort of how they wanted to express themselves artistically. Um, then when I, I really thought about that and how that applied to things like the Vans Warp Tour, the music festival that traveled around the U.S., here were all these musicians that loved to wear Vans, and they were trying to find their path to stardom through music um, and express themselves, or the artists that we worked with. And here we were, this canvas shoe company, and I, it really sat down. I pulled about 50 people off site, and we talked about what the brand really stood for, and where we ended up was that the brand was really about creative expression not about skateboarding. Skateboarding was an output for that, but it really was about how you expressed yourselves. If you're gonna wear crazy colored checkerboard shoes um, and walk down the street, you're expressing yourself differently than those around you. And I think that really, was, that really is a big opportunity for someone shaping a brand is thinking about really what is the ultimate consumer use of your brand? Why do they choose you? Um, and and building upon that to say, can we open the aperture and is there something more here that we're not realizing? So to me, that's one of the big things. Kevin, have you heard of the, uh, the jobs to be done theory? No. Okay. I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you a book of, uh, one of my favorite mentors. So he co-authored a book, well, first co-authored a theory and then it's turned into speaking and, and books and all this different stuff related to the jobs to be done theory. So thinking about goods and services as, um, not I bought this product or I bought this service, but it's more a matter of that you're hiring that product to do a job. So mm -hmm. there was this case study around McDonald's milkshakes. And what they found is that majority of time people order McDonald's milkshakes, it's in the morning, which you wouldn't guess. And it's usually people on long commutes that were trying to give up smoking because <laughs> it was satisfying and it was something to do like fiddling with a straw or chewing on the straw instead of, you know, same thing with smoking. Right. And so a lot of what you're saying is kind of similar in concept is like, the, the, you know, outwardly thought is, oh, Vans is for, you know, skateboarders, but the, it's actually more for Vans is for people trying to express themselves or, Van and, and again, I'm not trying to put words, but it's, it's, I love the kind of how you went about thinking about that. It was, okay, that's, that's sort of the outward, but let's take a step deeper and a step deeper and a step deeper. So mm -hmm. I, I, I love that mentality. That's amazing. Yeah. I think the other thing I'd call out too, is I think typically people looked at skateboarders as exclusionary as, as, <laughs> you know, 
these outcasts to some extent. Um, and the reality is, is skateboarding is very inclusionary. It's the uh, most like you walk up to a skate park and they're like, oh, come on. It doesn't matter how bad you are. Like, come join or give it a whirl. I, I have I it's so funny to bring that up because you would look at that and you'd be like, oh, I don't want to spend any time with those people. And then you all of a sudden you go up and have a conversation and like, oh, come on, give it a whirl. Here's my board, whatever it is. It's I it's so true to say that. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, you watch skateboarders. If someone's progressing, they'll bang their their skateboards on the coping of the skate ramp, you know, to celebrate it or snowboarding when it got in the Olympics. It didn't matter who you rode for. They would tackle you. Your friends would tackle you at the bottom of the run just because they saw how well you did and they were excited for you. And it, it didn't matter if you were on the red team or the blue team. Um, it was about embracing each other, um, progressing in their activity of choice. And I, I think that's one of the things that allows us as well to stand out from traditional you know, stick and ball sport, team, sport brands is that they tend to be exclusionary. You're on that team or this team despite the fact that you might compete in these activities we take part in, it's much more inclusionary. I love it. Um, so pretend that you're talking to a startup founder of 20 employees, uh, hypothetically, of course. Uh, <laughs> and uh, when I, so we're, you know, we've been through capital raises and we have putting together, you know, finally, like from an idea to like building a business and, um, Although I'm, we're, we're starting to get out of this where we're starting to think of like months ahead, but we're not thinking years ahead. We're thinking months ahead. And even sometimes we're thinking days ahead. And even sometimes it's like the only thing we can think about is today, right? So uh, for you with sort of the broad scope of what you guys are trying to do, do you spend most of your time uh, obsessing over, you know, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now? Mm -hmm. Is it quarterly? Like walk me through sort of where your not maybe, well, one, maybe the daydream portion of like what you get to think about, but also like the practicalness of uh, being at the executive level of such an amazing established brand. Yeah. So it's, you know, in, in, in all cases, I wear two hats. So I wear the president of Ann's hat um, and, and work with the executive team to steer this brand globally. Um, and, but I also wear our parent company hat, right? We were acquired in 2004 by VF Corp. Um, and I have to recognize what this brand's role is inside of our portfolio and what value we serve to shareholders. And we are the largest brand in the portfolio. So therefore, obviously, um, we play an important role in yeah, you have a, you, uh, For as much as you want to wrap the coolest shoes in the world, you do have a fiduciary responsibility, which is important. Yeah, no, very much so. So I think um, that that plays a role in, in all the choices I have to make as well. I think I think that's one of the critical parts is making sure I wear both hats. I do think, and one of the things is, as I've coached those who have taken over my jobs in the past, in thinking about what they need to spend time on, you know, we're all writing three-year plans, five-year plans. Um, but as I remind them, as the leader, you have to be thinking 10 years. And you're, you're putting the stake way out there in terms of where you believe this brand has potential to go. Um, you may not have determined all the ways to get there yet, um, but you see opportunities, you understand the total addressable markets in front of you, um, what would be required to win and, and serve in a, a high position in terms of market share in that, um, what would be acceptable for you, what might have to change about the way you do business, is that positive for your brand? Could it be a, de a detractor to your core consumer? And be thinking about those while you're shaping the near-term path with your leadership team. 
um, in terms of the activities, the strategies, the tactics to get there. And the reality is that flag that you put out there 10 years down the road might move over time, right? You might be a little left or right of that flag. And I think that's really critical when you're sitting in the chair of thinking about what 10 years away looks like. Um, I, I, think, I think the other piece, I think where you started with that question that I'd say, you know, if I were the CEO of the startup with 20 employees, um, I think I'd ask myself, who am I actually serving? Mm. Am I serving the company I'm looking to sell the software to? Um, and what they are they my customer? Or is the candidate, in your case, right, um, with Wedge, is the candidate who's going to be spoken to through the software, the consumer? And I think having, again, with my two hats of brand and enterprise, wearing those those two lenses for someone in that role, I think it's really important to identify what actually is it you're trying to do? Who are you serving? Um, and, and how do you do that in the best possible way? That's I mean, it's such a good word. I love that. Um, so Kevin and Kevin's various different roles uh, and, and, and all that you've done and obviously what, you, what you're currently doing with Vans and, um, you know, what what is sort of the uh, driving function of like what you're doing on a daily basis that I could just hear the passion in your voice? I get a chance to talk to a lot of executives, both on podcasts and uh, offline as well. And there's some you can tell that really don't like their job. And it's been awesome to hear sort of just the, the excitement you have. So what is sort of what you get a chance to do on a regular basis that really fuels you and fires you up, obviously in the context of, of, of Vans, but also just you personally and, and what, what's, what's some of the driving forces behind it? Yeah, so I, I think they're really interrelated. Um, um, when I uh, tur- left Vans, I was president here before from 2009 to 2016. And uh, then I took on some some broader enterprise roles at VF, um, our parent company, bef- and moved overseas and um, oversaw the brand a little bit during that time, but then came back to Vans really only about four months ago um, when I was asked to come back to run the brand again. Um, and for me, there's a lot of interrelativity in this. So you know, I mentioned that the brand being really about creative expression um, in youth culture. So how you go through determining um, how you can serve those consumers who, you know, are going through what, what I've coined before is this beautiful, beautifully messy time of their lives, trying to determine from high school into college who they are and what makes them different from moving from a group of people to, an, to behaving as an individual and what parts of their lives determine who they are? Is it the activities they do like action sports? Is it the music they listen to, the art they create, even if it's just their Instagram feed? Um, But how are they identifying as an individual now and determining who they will be um, as they become an independent adult um, rather than a part of a a friend set? Um, So I, I think there's a part there of how we help that consumer on that journey and really embrace their differences. Um, that's a big part of Vans. I mentioned inclusivity. So we really care about people being diverse and, and expressing who they are um, on their journey. Um, f- for me, um, it was interesting. I left um, Vans in 2007. Um, I left Vans and VF and I was gone for about two years. I got offered another opportunity to expand my, my scope. Um, I had been running the retail division here and at the other company I was at on the very first um, annual store manager conference, uh, it was my first week on the job and I was making small talk with people at the cocktail hour before the big kickoff. 
and I told each of the tables when I'd get to them, I'm like, hi, I'm the new guy. And um, I don't really know you, um, but you know, you can ask me anything you want and I'll give you an honest answer no matter what you ask. And, you know, I got small talk, but then at one table, one, one um, young uh, store manager looked at me and said, why do you do what you do? And it was just such a startling question. Um, this, why do you do what you do other than to make money? Why do you do this? And, and it really kind of set me back for a minute, but it gave me this moment of really, I'll never forget the moment. It was such unreal clarity for me. And I said, because somewhere in this room is me. Once upon a time as a young retail manager, um, I sat here just like you and I had this idea that I could do more. And I had this spark of potential glittering in my eye and it required others to find me and pour gas on that fire and help me become all I could be. And ever since that moment, I've known that my real purpose is about fueling the spark of potential in others. Mm -hmm. and, and that to me is the most rewarding thing. And when I think about that and what we do here in terms of feeding this, this sort of misfit circus of skateboarders, musicians, and artists, um, and helping them determine what, how they can fuel their passion for any of those by working at Vans and live the life that they love, then to me that sort of completes my circle and ultimately this brand ends up being the best fit for me um i <laughs> i'm tomorrow actually uh so by the time this airs it'll already be done but i'm i'm speaking at the uh, global leadership summit in chicago and um one of the stories that i'm telling is about uh, a guy who early on employee for linkedin and I think I sent, when I started Wedge, I think I sent like 5,000 messages to people just saying, hey, can I take you out to coffee? Can I learn from you? And these were executives, CEOs, the whole thing. And uh, um, one of the guys finally said yes. And I drove three hours to meet him in Chicago and we sat down for coffee. And he said, you totally weren't in the neighborhood, were you? And I said, no, I drove a little bit. And uh, he said, all right, well, call me next, you know, anytime you get ready to raise capital or you need a board spot, I'm, I'm happy to join because I believe in you. And this was five years ago, four years ago, and he's turned out to be uh, an investor, a board member, and, and become a very dear friend. And I didn't really totally understand the power of somebody looking at you saying, I believe in you um, and, and I want to support you. And now, again, it's not like we've made it big by any stretch of the imagination, but there's nothing greater than the opportunity to come alongside somebody and say, I believe in you. I want to support you. I want to back you. I want to help you live out whatever that looks like. And, and, and it's... Uh, it's a special thing. And so hearing you say that made me sort of reminded me of that. So thank you. I mean, it's, it's such a cool, I don't know, just approach is probably. Yeah. yeah no, that's that second mentor I mentioned in my life. It's when I worked for the edu educational toy store chain and we had been through a couple CEOs that came over from Europe because we were, we had a UK parent company. Um, but we brought in an American CEO at one point whose job was, was to turn the place around potentially to sell it. And we went through all that brand building work on what our purpose is as a brand, what, who we serve, et cetera. And I learned so much from him, but he's the one who we had gone through a big layoff and I was running a region at that point for the company. And he pulled me in and said, you're now in charge of national. You're in charge of all the, all of our stores in the U S and I kind of looked at him a little bit startled, um, and I was like, okay, and you know, all right, that's what I wanted to do at some point. I stepped up and probably about six months later, he pulled me into his office. He said, hey, I just terminated the head of marketing and you're now in charge of marketing too. And I went, but I'm not a marketer. I'm not trained. I don't know how to do this. We had TV spokespeople. We were starting a toy line of our own. 
And he said, you know what? You're a smart guy and I completely believe in you. And my office is three doors away. You have a question, come see me. But I have complete trust in your your intu- intuition, um, your intelligence, um, and I believe you can get this done. And that made such a difference in my life. And it's funny, when I became president of the brand, of Vans the first time in, in 2009, I sat down, I went out to the mountains actually by myself for two weeks and stayed in this cabin. And I wrote handwritten letters of gratitude to the three most important people uh, in terms of shaping my life. And I told them that I've carried part of them with me in my career. And, and he's mm. probably the one that did that most for me, just like that, that gentleman you just referenced. I, I love that. And you know, my office is three doors down. Yeah, well, that's three too many while I get started, but uh, we'll, we'll work on that together. No, I, I, I love it. So, Kevin, I got, I got two more questions for you. Um, that let's say you had a chance to sort of hand select the, you know, Kevin did blank for me in my life. So let's say, you know, of, of course we don't want this, but at your funeral, uh, when people go around saying. Kevin did blank and influenced me in blank way or whatever that is. What would you want? How would you want that filled in? Um, I think what I'd say is that that Kevin personally took an interest in me, got to understand what made me tick and what fueled my passions um, and helped me realize um, that I could do those things and gave me the courage and conviction to do it. Um, uh, again, that, that being able to kind of pour gas on that spark um, is the one thing that I would hope um, that they remember um, in terms of how I influenced their lives. I love that. And um, you've obviously listened to a couple episodes, which I'm very thankful for. Uh, so you, you'll know kind of how this closes. But my, my favorite question on the planet is what gets you out of bed in the morning? So, of course, Kevin, I have to ask you. <laughs> my alarm clock? Yeah, um, exactly. The dog uh, looking in your face, the alarm clock, whatever. I was going to say. Second would be the dog and me trying to convince him to not get up so early because I, yep, yep, I yep. <laughs> for change I don't have a six a.m. call. <laughs> but um, the uh, I I think it's just if if I go back to where I started, if I go back to the fact that I started in retail, I do believe that we underestimate the value of these young retail managers that run stores around around the globe. Um, you create you you develop general management skill sets at a very early age as these young you know fresh out of high school college students college graduates are running these retail stores they're they're looking at so many different aspects of what they have to do right they're running um, they're having to to learn sales um, and customer interactions they're managing staff and having to coach people they're keeping track of finances and balancing the registers every night. They're managing inventory flows and keeping track of inventory ins and outs. Um, the, the amount of things that a young retail manager learns at an early age, um, and I had one large company I worked for once tell me that they really saw that as their critical path to general managers in their operation because you develop that, especially the people skills at a very early point. So f- for me, Retail was about problem solving. Every day I had another problem. It was whether it be, you know, how do I make my sales number and catch up from the previous days where I might have missed the sales number? Whether it be, how do I re-merchandise the store to draw more attention? Whether it be, oh no, I'm getting a big shipment and I have no room in the stock room. How do I do that? Um, it, there were just always problems to solve. So I'm, I'm fed by challenges, maybe too much, and maybe I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, but just knowing that there's something I can affect in that day um, is a big deal to me. 
I had an executive coach once tell me, don't make your to-do list the night before for what you need to do the next day. Make it in the morning in the first 10 minutes. And he said, write down the first, the three things you can do that would, you would be most effective today if you did them. It, it's easy to be productive. It's harder to be effective. So sometimes every week on Monday, I re rewrite my whole schedule for the week. I pull my, um, my executive assistant in and we go through the schedule and I'm like, move this, cancel this, you know, reschedule that, combine these. I need to have the following things on the calendar this week because I believe I can be more effective if I dive into those. So I think it's just that. It's the, it's the daily challenge of, of the world we're in and the opportunities we have to do more and serve more. I love that. Kevin, well, I just owe you a huge thank you for the opportunity uh, to, to just get to know you a little bit and have you as a guest in this podcast. Um, for people that want to follow along with, uh, obviously, what Vans is doing, Vans is a pretty well-known company, but maybe follow some of the materials that you kick out um, or just kind of stay tuned in. What's, what's the best way either for people to reach out, communicate, follow along? Where, where would you point them? Well, certainly I'm on LinkedIn, like way too many other people in this world. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, Vans.com is our website that has lots of stuff about what the brand is, what we're doing. Um, obviously, it's also our commerce engine. Um, uh, we have a loyalty program called Vans Family. Um, so any of those ways are all easy ways to keep track of things. And of course, we're part of VF Corporation, a public company. Um, and we, we just uh, had our earnings released. So there's lots of information about the company there. I love it. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thanks, Matt. Fun, had a fun time. Thank you for in including me and um, look forward to it. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well, too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye. <music>